As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast from the Times. I'm Gabriel Mascotti, and I thank you for joining us on this snowy, snowy Monday morning in London. Although I appreciate it may not be snowing where you are, but I just thought I'd, I'd share it because we, 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 we like it. Everything gets kind of festive, right? Allison, you like snow? I love snow. The voice you just heard, of course, is Allison Rudd, who is one of my excellent guests today. And down the line from way up north, it's Paul Hurst. Later on, we're going to be discussing Pep's Yellow Ribbon and, of course, uh, Manchester United. How could we not? Uh, But we start at Wembley with the first major silverware of the season, the League Cup Final, sponsored by a Thai energy drink. I was struck by how sort of unimpressive this first half was, really, from from both teams. City turned it on in the second half, and it was and it was absolutely remarkable. But I don't know what it was. But it, was it? Did you get the sense, Paul, that you know he he did Guardiola did make some changes? Um, you know, Kevin De Bruyne uh, playing in in a wide area, no Raheem Sterling available, and he had Gundogan in there in midfield. Was that maybe part of the reason they weren't quite as sharp in in, in the first half? And or or not maybe not quite as sharp. What is different or as dominating as we we expect them to be? Yeah, the, the kind of the changing system didn't didn't help them. Sterling is such a such a devastating outlet for them on that wing. You know, him and Sané, if you've got them both both going at full pace against a very creaky Arsenal defence, it's always going to be very very threatening. But I, I, I agree, the first half was a very poor quality. I mean, I just sat there watching, thinking, you know, who who are these two teams? Because they just keep passing the ball out of play rather than to each other. Fernandinho was a bit. Kind of lost his nerve, went back to the, the Fernandinho of last year, where you know he just seemed to try to get himself sent off. Um, but in the second half, they just they just calmed down and just got into their natural game. All right, I don't want to pick on the Arsenal defense and the Arsenal system, but why any any new ideas? Why he persists with this back three? I mean, this is what I this is one of the Wenger mysteries, and there's there's a whole bunch of Wenger mysteries. But Allison, tell me. You've played a back four for most for most of your career. Why switch to a back three, especially when it's not exactly an area of the pitch where you've got a ton of depth, is it? Playing a back three means that you have to play Callum Chambers uh, and Mustafi, and we'll get to him, in that back three. Why? Why does he do this? Um, I'm not entirely sure. I... What, so we can have one fewer guy in midfield? I, I don't... I yeah. Mean... <sighs> I think it was crying out for uh, 4-4-2 or 4-2-3-1 this game. And 
it's indicative of a team that don't know who they are. A lot of people were saying, "Oh, what if you know? Why? How can Wigan? How can Wigan beat City and Arsenal can't?" And which is spurious in some respects, except that Wigan did know exactly who they were. And if you're watching Arsenal, you're you're you're, n- you're never sure which Arsenal are going to turn up in so many categories: a their formation, b who he picks, c their identity, d what sort of frame of mind are they in. Paul was saying how he, he sat there thinking this is poor quality and I don't I don't really recognize either of these two teams which is a which is slightly it must be very actually very annoying if you're an Arsenal fan to listen to Paul because what you're saying is City were there to be got at and if Arsenal had had the courage of convictions in say a 4-4-2 and just tried to play rigorous solid maybe quite a lot of long balls up there been physical um, confident not try to pass it around at the back and and be sideways passy. Just shown City that they had no fear. It might have been a completely different game. Three at the back sort of implied overthinking it. Uh, I, I, beyond that, I have I have nothing to offer as to why it might have been an advantage on the day. Paul, it's not just three at the back. I mean, I could stomach three at the back if then you play Kolasinac, but Monreal on one side, Bellerin on the other on the flanks, and then you've got. Uh, uh, you know, and, and, and then you've got the, the central midfielders. I mean, it's it's very negative, isn't it? It's, it's almost yeah. like saying, like, oh, look, you know, I've preached great football all my career. Now I'm just going to hang back and leave Alba Yang to do something on the counter. Yeah, throughout Wenger's career, you know, one of the biggest criticisms of him, him has been when he sets his teams up, they, you know, he sets them to his own kind of strengths and kind of doesn't take into account the opposition and just thinks, you know, we are Arsenal, you know, we'll, we'll play how we want and we'll we'll win because we're great. But yesterday when I looked at that team, I thought that team has been set up to, to contain City. In some respects, they were kind of there for the taking City yesterday. No, I'm not saying that they would have, you know, crumbled straight away, but that, that first 20 minutes, you thought, you know, well, certainly after sort of five, 10 minutes, you thought City aren't really comfortable here. They didn't look comfortable and... You know, they had Claudio Bravo in there. And I, and it's, I know it's kind of a sore spot for City fans and, and people at the club that he always gets picked on. Um, but that's because he's not a very good goalkeeper. I mean, he's had one decent match, you know, especially this season against Wolves. He played very, very well. But there's, there's always this kind of sense of nerves around him. And I wrote an article, I wrote a column last week on, on the website saying as much, um, saying that the defence becomes nervy and... Overnight, he got picked up in Chile, and overnight, I became public enemy, enemy number one in Chile um, because of it, because he's a national hero. But he, he is very, very sort of nervous on the ball, and that kind of transmits to the to the defence and the crowd. And there was one moment where he came out of his area in the second half, and I just thought, "What is he trying to do?" He completely, completely missed the ball, and, and luckily for City, Aubameyang uh, couldn't score. But you know. An Arsenal of old would have gone at City with, if they had any conviction about themselves right from the start yesterday, but they never really looked as if they thought they could beat them. I want to just talk a minute about the first goal because obviously it was not a City-like goal. Um, people said, oh, look, Ederson's such a great passer. But this is basically, for those who haven't seen this, Bravo just, I think it was it was direct from a goal kick, if I'm not mistaken. Bravo just, just boots the ball way over the top as far as he can. Aguero is City's lone striker. Aguero is standing behind Mustafi, who is the 
central defender in, in the back three. I don't understand this. I don't understand what Mustafi was trying to do. Mustafi kind of takes two steps and tries to back into him. And it's weird because we've seen this twice, right? We saw this in Chelsea Barcelona when Christensen goes and plays a square ball across his goal mouth, which is one of the things you're basically told not to do when you start playing football age six. The other one they tell you is to stay goal side of, unless you're trying to play him offside, but of course it's a goal kick. Well, why? How? <laughs> no, I, I don't. I don't. Can you? Does anybody have any any sense on this? I know if Robbo were here, Stuart Robson would talk about Wenger's lack of defensive organization. This isn't a defensive organization. Mustafi has won a World Cup. He's he's had you know five hundred odd games as a professional footballer. I don't understand. Well, maybe he switched off. Maybe he. Maybe they hadn't drilled for it. Maybe he just wasn't expecting it. I don't know. It was bad defending. You no, can't. No, you no, can't. No, you can't. You can't say. You can't say it was a really good idea to be in that position, and it backfired. It was. It looked like a lack of concentration. Well, you. It was you, very. You it was very. Where Aguero no, was. but it was very. It was a very strange goal because Aguero used Mustafi's backside as a sort of springboard. It's like when you go swimming and you push off the end of the lane to make sure you go extra fast. He used him as a springboard to then sprint onto the he ball. He didn't even need to do that. He could have just turned and sprinted in a straight line. He's, he's ahead of Mustafi. Mustafi's not going to catch him. He could have run onto the Ex- ball. This, that's my, it, my point is, my point is, you po- never see that. You never see that because the defender is never that back to goal out of it. It was a, it was a switch-off moment, wasn't it? Paul, how does this happen, though? I mean, this, 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 this guy's won a World Cup. You know, he's he's not a kid. He's 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 been doing this for a long time. When you are, you know, taught as a defender as a kid what to do, you know, it is safety first. You are goal side, and you are kind of strong. You don't, you know, stand in front of the striker and then at the slightest nose just look at the referee and expect him to to blow up for a for a free kick. It wasn't. It was the slightest of nudges. It was. There was no. I. I it wasn't a foul at all for me, and it was very kind of naive. And very dangerous, very risky to think that he was gonna, that the referee was gonna blow for that. It was, it was very, very weak. But P- Paul Gab wants us to come up with a theory as to why this was a deliberate defensive ploy, and I don't think there, I don't think it would have been deliberate, would it? It was just no. A- I, it, it literally breaks every rule in the in the book, doesn't it? All right. So does this but, mean we have a tiny bit of sympathy for Wenger? Because. When your when your players start doing something like that, and then you're a goal down, and then you got to come forward, and then, I mean, no. Well, depends how deep you want to go. Why why does he have players that are that relaxed? Why are his team not completely at it? Because you have to be, don't you? In a cup well, final against City, you have to be on your toes the whole time. Concentrate, your, concentrate. I, the the second goal, and Henry Winter outlines this very well in the game. It was Vincent Company's goal. We're all happy for Company and what it stands for. He was the happiest. He's one of the good guys. I think it's. I think even people who hate City probably like Vincent Company. But goodness me, Gundogan has all the time in the world to deliver the ball. I don't understand. Do, do they not watch videos of City's set plays? Is the environment really so laid back, as you say, so dispirited that they uh, that, that, that they don't even put in an effort? Well, this, but this is this is one of the big questions about the later years of the Wenger era is that they become a yo-yo team. So they play, they they click one game and they look quite nice, and then they go off the next. 
and if you do that then it's a, it's usually about the manager giving the players too much reward and and too little um tough love if you like you have there a team who are not scared of their manager they're not scared of repercussions they are told to express themselves they're told to feel it as opposed to work it and the final was a big big glowing glaring example of a team that are not fearful of their place in the team or their reputation or fearful of their manager they they looked they looked kind of spoiled like don't right. worry you don't have to well, run that, too that much that brings me on to my next thing and uh, i've rarely heard a co-commentator who's not an idiot and Gary Neville is most definitely not an idiot you know we, you just get some fools expose on television not just expose Gary Neville I think most would agree is not one of them he is gen, you know he's he's a very respected most people say oops, he's a very respected guy I certainly have a lot of time for him the language that he used in describing this game I mean we saw fit to go and write a little story about it I'm quoting here look at Ramsey walking he's walking Shaka's walking Ozil's walking they're walking don't walk at Wembley. Don't walk on a football pitch. It's impossible. You're 2-0 down. Run. Then later he says, Ramsey, Shaka, Ozil, walking on a football pitch at Wembley, giving up, spineless. Why are you walking? You're a disgrace, an absolute disgrace. I don't even want to talk about them because they've been an absolute disgrace. Like I said, had this been another ex-pro that I don't won't name saying this, I would have said, he's probably a fool. But when Gary Neville says this, I pay attention because he's normally, you know, he's forthright, but he's normally a lot more measured. He's calling fellow professionals, some of whom he's played against, a spineless and a disgrace. Alison, what's your take here? Did did, did, he, did he go over the top? Is it, I mean, is there some, did, did he cross some kind of line or was it really so bad that even Gary Neville goes and does? Had that been Robbo, fine. Not, not that, but you know, I mean, he has a history of criticizing, but I, I was floored by this. It was interesting for all the reasons you said, Gab, and also it was interesting because Gary Neville doesn't have a vested interest in Arsenal being better. He's just there to watch a cup final and offer his view on how it's unfolding and the tactical analysis and so on. For him to get emotional about how a team he has no emotional connection with is really significant. And I suspect in 10 years' time, when we look back at the history of Arsenal, that might be a significant moment. Because if you've got a respected analyst, almost losing it, amazed at how poor he feels individuals on that pitch are behaving. That feels like an end point. It feels like Arsenal cannot go from anywhere else there, from there this season. That's it. That's the end of Arsenal's season. And that's the end of respect for Wenger. I, 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 I honestly don't know what Wenger can do other than slaughter Milan 6-0 in the Europa League to win back any 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 respect at all it was it, i think it will be a, a watershed moment final word on company paul the, is there something is there a slightly deeper message from pep in the sense that this guy's his captain you know he buys yet another central defender in, in emmerich laporte and i think it's pretty obvious longer term he's thinking uh some kind of laporte stones partnership obviously otamendi's well ahead of him and yet in this game he turns to company I mean, is it as simple as he wanted to show his appreciation and was rewarded for it? Or uh, does Pep have that sentimental streak in him? I think so, yeah. I think he's, quite a lot of his management 
approach to management is old school, really. You know, fair play to him. Like, like you said, the, the future is Stones and Laporte as, as the centre-back pairing. But I thought it was quite a nice gesture. It was a gamble, you know. It was, it was a gamble because he's not, you know, we, we all know what his injury record is like. He's 41 injuries now. He could he could have broken down at any point. Um, but I, I thought he played fantastically well yesterday. The, the way he mus- muscled Aubameyang off the ball when, when he went through was just... Just remarkable, really, and he looked like the kind of the Vincent Company of old, and he's kind of he's been through it all at the club. You know, he was there before the takeover. You know, four different managers have have been at that club while he's been there, and he's had all these injuries, and he's managed to just somehow last a decade. And you know, he'll he'll probably he'll he'll see out his contract there. And then, you know, he could become the new kind of Patrick Vieira, where he goes into the coaching side of the the group and, you know, could end up becoming manager or even, you know, director of football or something like that one day because he's a very, very intelligent guy. He's got a master's in, in in business studies now as well. So, you know, he's, he's very well thought of and it was, it, was, it was nice to see him do well yesterday. This season, with your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times, you can watch every single highlight and every goal from every game in the Premier League, the Champions League, the Europa League, and the FA Cup. Paul, what was your favourite goal of the weekend in the Premier League? I liked Adam Smith's goal for, for Bournemouth. Uh, I just Some it was, uh... finish, wasn't it? <laughs> You know, any finish that comes off the bar, you know, is, is just that noise, isn't it? The kind of the, the sound that it makes just makes it ten times infinitely kind of better. He, he clearly can strike it, um, and he's he's had kind of such a, a strange career. I remember, remember covering Spurs and Harry Redknapp sort of mentioning him as a you know as a potential very good you know fullback. He's been out alone pretty much every club in the football league. But maybe, you know, that's where he's been going wrong. Maybe he should have been a, you know, an inside forward or a, a, a striker. He, he can definitely hit it. Alison, your choice? Anthony Knockhart's uh, goal for Brighton. Why are you getting there? Because you have Glenn Murray scoring twice and you mentioned this guy. Because this was the nicer goal than any that Glenn scored. No, it was a beautiful goal. He was a one-two with Gross. Um, nice finish. Nice somersault celebration. And... It's nice to see Brighton scoring. They've struggled to score goals, which might have threatened them, but I think they'll be okay. And Knockhart was so integral to them gaining promotion to the Premier League. He's been peripheral relatively this season, but he looked full of buoyancy and it was just part of a very nice performance. I can't decide who I love more at Brighton. Pascal Gross, Glenn Murray or Chris Hewton. It's just difficult. On to Old Trafford. Manchester United defeat Chelsea 2-1. They bounce back into second place. Uh, Conte gets all grumpy and sad. But let's start with the great Pogba conundrum. You had all these clever people saying he needs to play on the left of a midfield three, blah, blah, blah. Mourinho figured out how to do it. McTominay on one side, Mattis just behind, and Pogba on the other. Right? That's what he did. And it worked, right? Yeah, it did. <laughs> it's, uh, it's funny how you know. I I, I do think that is that is his best position. Uh, that the game against Everton uh, a few weeks ago when Pogba was playing in the left of a three, you know, that was when he he played at his best, and you know that's why he played at Juve. He played so well as well. Um, but it's just you know there's kind of, there is tension there between Mourinho and Pogba, and you know he's, he's 
he's he's been teaching him a lesson over the last couple of last couple of games, you know, by putting him on the bench. Um, so you know now he now he's off the naughty step and back in the team. He kind of you'd hope that that'd be that'd be all over. But to be honest, if if Fellaini was fit, if he had another midfielder, you might not expect to see him. You know, he might not have played Pogba on really? Saturday because of, because of the odds because of the the rift is kind of you know once you're on Mourinho's bad side, it takes a lot to to get you back in the team, even if you cost eighty nine million pounds. Wait, you're you're suggesting that if we'd had another central midfielder other than Michael Carrick, who I believe is older than you, Pogba would have been on the bench. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, well, he's, he's that. Like I say, once you cross Mourinho, it takes a hell of a lot to get back in the team, or you've got to do a hell of a lot to kind of prove that you are worthy of being, you know, considered one of his brood, you know, one of his kind of favourite people. You've got to earn that and. And I do genuinely think that if, if Fellaini had been fit or if Herrera had been fit, there would be another game on the on the bench for him just to sh- you know just to keep teaching him a lesson. Alison, please tell me he's wrong, because even with all the Mourinho stereotyping and cackling that we do, please tell me that if Fellaini had been fit, we would not have seen at home against Chelsea in a game you need to win to stay second, a Fellaini, Matic, McTominay with all due respect, even though Mourinho afterwards said he has everything, he has everything about McTominay. Surely he wasn't going to do that, was he? I think that's entirely plausible. I do, I do, I do, because I also <laughs> don't get why everyone's saying, woohoo, they, look what United did. They played Paul Pogba in a three-man midfield and didn't he do well? He was adequate. He wasn't amazing. Matic was far more integral to that victory than... First of all, Pogba's adequate is light years ahead of Matic's amazing. Secondly, I agree with you that I don't think United played great. I think this game could have easily ended in a draw. And look, even Mourinho agrees with me. And you know, maybe the difference in the in in the game ultimately wasn't that it was it was Lukaku's performance probably. But you need to have your big assets and in, in their best position. And, and Mourinho did this on the day. You know, and sometimes players like Pogba or De Bruyne or whatever, they influence it even when they're not on the ball because they force the opposition to, to adjust and be and be aware of them. I don't see Pogba reaching that De Bruyne level where he's influencing, though. It's he feels more like a work in progress now. Paul, it's help become, me. No, it's help become. Me, Paul. It, it's because of the way United's season has unfolded and Pogba's season has unfolded. I think it's vaguely ridiculous that we're talking about. Ooh, what position can we get? Can we know, get the best out of Paul Pogba? Paul, do I, Paul, will you help me, please? Here, I'll, I'll throw you an alley oop by mentioning the uh, the fact that Pogba, I believe, has nine assists in the Premier League uh, this season, which I think, on a permanent basis, is even better than Kevin De Bruyne, or certainly close to it. The point is, though, the last last two or three weeks since the Everton match, or you know, Pogba has not been the player that he was at the start of the season when he was playing very well and you know getting all these assists and towards the end of last season where he was playing very well you know and hitting the post every every two minutes by that kind of definition you know if, if you're not playing well and if Mourinho thinks that you are not 100% committed if you call in because you've got a snivel then you know you're not worthy of a place in the team so and, you know, Mourinho does this to his players from time to time. He challenges them. He, you know, he, he says, come on, show me what you've got. Show me that you are 
you know, you deserve to be in this team. So if, you, if you're not, then you'll be brought down a peg or two. Why was there a buy on the bench? Because because when I saw that, I saw Lindelof and, Small, and Smalling, I sort of thought to myself, oh my God, Conte's going to love this. When I saw the defending on the first goal, which was straight out of the Arsenal playbook, I thought to myself, is Bai not fully fit? What, what was, what's the deal there? What, what was he thinking? I, I was the same. I was completely perplexed by that, that choice, uh, that centre-back pairing. And Smalling uh, against uh, Seville on Wednesday was... I know they got a clean sheet, but that was only because of De Gea. You know, the wonder save that he pulled up against uh, Muriel was because, you know, Muriel was free because Smalling, you know, wasn't tracking him. He was just watching the ball go over his head. Um, so I don't know how he, he warranted a place in the team. Uh, I, I can only suspect that Mourinho thinks that Bailly's not 100% fit. Sevilla was, the you know, his first game back, uh, first start anyway. Um, so he, he might not be 100% fit, but Lindelof needs a kind of strong part of it next to him and Smalling at the moment isn't pride in that yeah. I mean maybe a strong partner next to him on the bench I mean I don't know um, Lukaku he's had so many critics uh, and I'm looking at you Alison he was really 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 good he, he was so smart in reading it uh, for uh, for the first goal when with the, with the Martial layoff and on the second one he ran hard and put in a great ball for, for Lingard who came on as a sub is is this what we should be expecting week in, week out from Lukaku? Of course it is. And both goals were really lovely, by the way. And Lukaku looked like you want him to always look. He was involved. I mean, the, the, the problem with the criticism he gets of being a flat-track bully is that when Mourinho can be quite negative and when he plays the good teams, they play conservative football, which means that your centre-forward isn't always going to see a lot of the ball. And so he looks isolated and he looks like he's dissociated from the rest of the team and he just doesn't get enough chances or involvement to express himself but this was a more even game and he was able to there was a connection there between him and the midfield he was able to feed off his teammates they looked like a proper team they looked like they were on the same wavelength and he he was having fun and when he's having fun all his natural attributes came to the fore so yeah he can of course he can play against the big teams he just needs a to be with teammates that are told to make sure they express themselves a bit more when they're in a big match. Now, of course, the flip side of Lukaku is the other centre forward, um, Alvaro Morata, who who got a lot of, I, I thought, got a lot of criticism, which, okay, he doesn't look super busy, but he hit the woodwork, I thought did very well to get into a good chance early. And then he had the other goal that was that was disallowed and probably with VAR, I think, would have been given. We're a little harsh on Morata here, Alison? Yes, 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 very, very harsh on him because sometimes players, they have a role to play and in the way that, that, that Antonio Conte sets it up, really, the role of someone like Morata is to free up the players like Hazard and Willian to be able to move around and express themselves better. And Morata's there to hold the ball up, to make the, the defenders have some someone to focus upon. He's not there to be flash and dribbly because Chelsea have a lot of those players. So he, he does sometimes look static and less exciting than some of his attacking teammates. And um, he, he has that demeanour which makes it look like he's not that bothered. But in fact, he's just concentrating. He's, he's a very elegant centre-forward hold-up man and he does his job well. And in a way, what you'd want is for him to, to 
for the spotlight not to be on him so that players such as William and Hazard can shine and you know otherwise what's the option the option is that you have Hazard as the false number nine which sometimes just means Hazard doesn't do what he does best and tries to be a centre forward and he's not a good one I just want to talk about Conte a second because I'm kind of surprised by not surprised because actually I shouldn't be surprised by his negativity not on the pitch, but afterwards, when when he talked about how you know, well, I said it was going to be really, really difficult to get in the Champions League, and now I've been proven right. You know, people need to understand what's at risk here. And I kind of thought to myself, you know what? You went there. You played reasonably well. You certainly did enough to to to, to draw. Possibly with a bit more now, you could have won. A bit like the Barcelona game earlier in the week. Paul, is this this emphasizing of the negatives? Is this all part of some weirdo master plan of his, or does he really feel this way? I was watching his post-match interview and hearing those words. I was just absolutely astounded. You know, <laughs> this is you know, Chelsea won the league by seven points last year, and I know they didn't have Europe. You know, they didn't have mid- midweek matches. They weren't in the Champions League, but you know, for him to say, I always knew it'd be difficult to get in the top four this season. Is just completely ridiculous when when they absolutely, you know, when they won the league by so such a big margin last year to all of a sudden be, you know, incapable of finishing in the top four in the league is is such a, a, a big drop. And I just he's he's making, I don't know, is he calling out is he calling out the board again? Is he saying no? It, it, I knew it'd be difficult because I didn't get all the players that I wanted, or is he kind of making excuses for himself? I, I don't know. It's, it's, he seems to be whenever he speaks in front of the cameras, he just seems to be speaking in riddles and kind of trying to, you know, it, it just doesn't really make sense. He, there's never, you know, any, you know, it, it, it was never my, you know, he, he very rarely kind of fronts up and says, "Oh yeah, it's my fault with being for being poor." It's, it's, he, he knows he's he's going to be on his way, I think, and that's you know, he's, he's just blaming everyone else but himself. Alison, these are Chelsea's next five fixtures. We have a handy dandy. Uh, graphic in uh, in the game supplement. Uh, it's Manchester City away, Crystal Palace at home. Crystal Palace, who who've won twice in the last two trips to Stamford Bridge. Uh, the return leg against Barcelona in the Champions League. Leicester away in the FA Cup, and then Spurs at home. By the end of this, Chelsea could be out of everything and. Uh, many, many points out of the top four. And then who'd want the job anyway? No, seriously. The, seriously, these who'd five, want the job? These five games define the season. Of course they do. And it's terrible preparation to to be down in the dumps as he was afterwards because there was a lot of goodwill towards Chelsea after that Barcelona first leg. A lot of goodwill. You build on that. You kickstart your season. You start it again if you're a manager who is thinking longer term than what his payoff's going to be in the summer. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. 
It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Love the game? Then don't miss The Game Daily. It's your lunchtime update from football's finest writers, and it's only at thetimes.co.uk. In our debate this week, we're going to mix politics and sport once again. Um, it's, it's a story that I initially found a little bit odd, but I'll try to sum up here. As you may have heard, Pep Guardiola is a big supporter of Catalan independence. He's not the only one. Uh, a few months ago, they had a uh, they had a referendum. It was not a legal referendum in the sense it wasn't sanctioned by the Spanish government who told them not to hold a referendum. There was all sorts of protests. There was the violence. There was a crackdown. One of the Catalan leaders, uh, in fact, not just him, but he and I think three of his associates, it's a guy named uh, Puigdemont, they ended up leaving the country. They, 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 they faced prison time. And I think from Pep's perspective, he maybe feels a little bit harassed. I, there were stories that when uh, his family flew by um, private plane back, uh, the authorities were there to search it, uh, apparently thinking maybe he was hiding Puigdemont in his plane. I, I don't know. So Pep Guardiola is taken to wearing one of the symbols of Catalan independence, which is a yellow ribbon. Now, as those who rem- remember from Poppygate, there are rules in place against uh, displaying political symbols in, in football. This yellow ribbon is taken to be a, a political symbol. The Football Association twice wrote to him, uh, warned him formally. He continued wearing this. Um, and it got to the point, it's become a big enough issue that, uh, Paul, you told me outside Wembley, there were people handing out yellow ribbons to, to City fans as a as a sign of, of solidarity with, with Pep Guardiola. Yeah, th- there was a, a, a London sort of branch of the uh, Catalan independence movement who were handing out these these ribbons with with, with flyers as well to, to anyone who, who walked up Wembley Way to the stadium uh, quite a few Man City fans were were wearing them. Uh, I'm not sure whether they were 100% sure of you know why <laughs> or the, why or the kind of background to the independence movement. Or, but as far as they were concerned, they were just showing solidarity with their manager. I think this is a bit of a, a bit of a thorny issue, so we're going to try to keep it where we can within um, the football sphere. But Alison uh, Guardiola said after the game that you know. He accepts the fine if he broke the rules. He says, I'm a human being and this is for humanity. And there are four guys in prison and other guys who will be in, in jail. It's about democracy. People didn't do anything apart from having another opinion. Hopefully in the future, the state can help keep these guys out of jail. Before a manager, I'm a human. Uh, and then he brings up the uh, the referendum in, in Scotland, uh, which was obviously Scottish independence referendum was, was approved by the government. And they were allowed to do it in Spain. Uh, that did not happen. For constitutional reasons, the Spanish government maintained that this referendum was um, was illegal. 
how do we feel about a manager making a stand like this? And, and how should Manchester City feel as well? Because obviously, if he does get a touchline ban, and he is at risk of getting a touchline ban as a result of this, presumably it's not good for them. No. Um, first of all, Guardiola's done an absolutely brilliant job at putting the Catalan question at the forefront of debate, certainly in this country, because I think other than when, 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 when the illegal referendum happened, it sort of went off the radar. And he, if, if, if people do protest because they want to keep an issue alive, this is the perfect example of how to do that, how the wearing of a single yellow ribbon can keep a political uh, topic going. So uh, bravo Guardiola for, for doing what he wanted to do. If I was in charge at Manchester City, I would be less impressed. The reason Guardiola has the ability to put a political issue in the spotlight regularly is because he's the manager of the most successful club in England at this current time. They're likely to win the Premier League. The pictures of him all over the place, interviews with him all over the place and all the time he's wearing a yellow ribbon. That shop window is only available to Guardiola because he's an employee of Manchester City and they are not employing him to be the equivalent of the guy who stands on the street corner wearing a placard saying Jesus loves you or whatever. It's it, it's There are two separate things here and he's he is, in a way, you could argue, abusing his position. He's, he's only famous because City are paying him a huge salary and giving him a great team to manage and a great club to take Whoa. forward. I wouldn't say that's the only reason he's famous. He at only the moment, has he's only on television at the moment because he's in Manchester City. If he was still in New York eating pizzas, he wouldn't be on telly every five minutes, would he? No, no, he wouldn't have the same exposure that he has now. I agree Absolutely with you there. No I wouldn't say he's, that's the only reason he's famous is because he's managing At Manchester the moment, City. the yeah. only reason you see the yellow ribbon is because he's man manager of Manchester City. No one goes into a pizza shop and takes a photograph of him and puts it on the front page of their newspaper because he's eating a pizza in New York. I mean, right now, that's what he does. And also, I think it's so easy to romanticise what's going on here and see him as some sort of saviour or martyr or something. I mean, how would you feel if Jose Mourinho was wearing a badge in support of Trump's desire for teachers to be armed in school in America? Or how would you feel if Sean Dyche wore a pro-Brexit badge? There, or there is a reason. There is a reason why, why the Sean FA Dyche isn't pro Brexit. But that's the point, isn't it? There's Steve a reason perishes. why you keep politics out of football. Because no, that's a fair point. Like James McLean not wearing a poppy. Not wearing something <laughs> is <laughs> no, a completely right. separate set of um, ar ethical arguments than Paul, wearing I, one. I, I look at this and I say, all right, this is Manchester City's call, right? He is imperiling Manchester City, possibly. They're giving him this platform. I am 100% sure that there's something written into his contract which which regulates this. And if Manchester City wanted to put into practice and somehow punish Pep for doing this, if they think it's hurting the team, they could do it. They're choosing not to do it because everything's going swimmingly and he's popular and whatever else. Um, have you had any sense from them that they're slightly concerned about this? No, I, I think he's, you know, like you say, he is, you know, he can he can do no wrong. He's doing no wrong at the moment in terms of, you know, getting results and, you know, he's managing the team. The other important thing to to recognise here is that he's got a, a hell of a lot of Catalan staff around him who share exactly the same opinion as him when it comes to the um, the referendum. They, they, they think that 
uh, you know that, that the Catalonian people should have a you know should have a vote that is recognised by the uh, by the state. You know, as far as they're concerned, they're happy for him to to go on as it stands. But you know, if the if if it does escalate, if he does end up getting a touchline ban, then questions will start being asked about you know is it really worth it? Come on, you you know you've you've made your you've made your point now. It's kind of overshadowing everything. I just can't really see the FA doing that. I know they they've talked about you know possible bans, but I just don't think it'll end up coming to that. I think they'll end up sitting down and having some, some kind of compromise. At the end of the day, that you know the FA pushed hard for the for the poppies to be to be worn, and so I think there's a, a certain level of hypocrisy on on their part when it comes to this. Hypocrisy from the FA never. That's an interesting point, though, isn't it? Isn't it? Is it the same? Is the wearing of a poppy the same as the wearing of a pro-referendum yellow ribbon? As I see it, one way or another, it's it's a political statement. I mean, those poppies have a very specific. But the whole point of meaning. the argument with the poppy was it's not a political statement. It's they can say than it's that. not, but it's specifically to go and commemorate not everybody who died in the war, but specifically British soldiers who died in the war. Not. British nurses, not British people. Those people who went and uh, and, and hid people in in, in the uh, in the bomb shelters. Not everybody else who was affected by it. Not the not the men and women who stayed behind to make sure that the factories were still working. It is specifically about the British Army. I think that is by definition, particularly when you've got. I'm gonna get off my soap, my soapbox in a minute here before I get in trouble. But particularly when you've got a very contentious issue in Northern Ireland, which is still there despite your peace treaty, um, it is a political statement. If everybody's on board with it, fine. But by the same token, FIFA's attitude was, you know what? Let's leave the military out of football. If you want to do something commemorating and reading the, in the war, that's fine. This red poppy does not do that. It has a different meaning. That's why FIFA took the stance that they did. It's not a minute of silence for everybody who suffered, or even every Briton who suffered in, in, in World War II and to recognize their sacrifice. And it wasn't just soldiers who, of course, were killed. Um, that's why FIFA felt the way they did at the time. And, you know, they backtracked. But it does certainly weaken the position. And, you know, it's a typical slippery slope argument. Paul, I might to ask you, though, specifically with Manchester City, for those who don't know, uh, Manchester City are are essentially owned by the royal family of Abu Dhabi. And once Pep Guardiola makes this about human rights and people not being put in jail and people having a voice and so on, does that risk becoming somewhat problematic for a country which does not exactly have a stellar human rights record and where people have been flogged and put in jail for for expressing opinions that were deemed to be contrary to the status quo? I think it's, it's you know, it's, it's a very valid point, and it was it was brought up yesterday at the press conference that, you know... You, was it Rob Pe- Harris? It was Rob Harris. <laughs> <laughs> How did Who you else? Get? He's a bulldog. Yeah, he's not called trouble for, for nothing, is he? Um, he yeah, he raised the very valid point that Abu Dhabi is very much a, an authoritarian state. So, you know... What did Pep the, say to the, that? He, he kind of wriggled out of it quite quite cleverly by saying, you know, each country has their own laws or something to that effect. It wasn't very very coherent argument. But I think the, Spain the one has kind its of, own laws too, incidentally. Mm, yeah, but exactly, sorry. that's what I thought. <laughs> the, the, the one kind of the one point that I always, always bemuses me is that when it comes around to um, Gay Pride Week or um, 
the, the, there's the the rainbow flag flies above Etihad Stadium. There's some kind of you know solidarity with the uh, LGBT movement. Yeah, in Abu Dhabi, you know, if you're a homosexual, there are, there are laws there to repress homosexuality. So you know, we talk about hypocrisy. That is, you know, that is a huge level of hypocrisy from from Manchester City in that respect. All right, enough yellow ribbons. How about some quick hits instead? Liverpool stomp all over West Ham United, and the Wonder Trio all get on the score sheet, as does Emerson, who has yet to extend his deal. Allison, how big a loss would he be if he does, in fact, move on? Or do you not care because you've got Jordan Henderson? <laughs> well, I, it would be nice if he stayed. There's something about Emerson where he doesn't feel integral in that when he plays, usually he plays quite well and you think, that's nice. But when he's not playing, you don't think, oh, we really missed Emre Chan. It's a basic case of if he wants to go, I'd rather play the left if then Hart's not in it or they feel they can get a better deal elsewhere. And if he really wants to stay, then be very happy to have him. Tottenham Hotspur leave it late to upend Crystal Palace as Mauricio Pochettino complains that Dele Alli's reputation for diving is costing him. I think he's got three yellow cards this season. Two this season for diving. Three in his career. He's got three yellow cards in his career and yeah. he's only 21. Yeah. Wow. Hursty, any sympathy? No. Not for that reason. <laughs> because, you know, Pochettino comes out and says, you know, he has got a reputation for diving and it's costing him, but he's got a reputation for diving because he has dived a lot in the past. As you say, three, you know, three yellow cards by the time he's 21 for diving isn't great. Two this season against Huddersfield and Liverpool. And the way that he went over Hennessy, when Hennessy on uh, over the weekend was quite pathetic, really. Glenn Murray bags two goals as Brighton beat up Swansea 4-1. Allison, he's sort of a cult hero of mine, and some are even talking England, apparently. Uh, Glenn Murray, of course, uh, former Wilmington Hammerheads, I think it is, striker. Can you explain the phenomenon that is Glenn Murray? He scored more goals than, had a whole list of people, more goals than Lacazette, more goals than... I don't know, a bunch of other guys. Well, a lot of those goals were tap-ins. A lot of those goals are penalties. They all count. But Gary Lineker count. scored they a lot of tap-ins too. They do all count. He's, he's, he's like a sort of bulky Jamie Vardy. And he was also accused of only ever turning it on when the cameras, you know, when there was live football. But I suppose he's, he's clocked that the cameras are at every game and you're going to see him eventually on some highlight show. So he may as well turn it on throughout. No, he is, he's interesting because he's 34. He has had no international recognition whatsoever ever and it would be a lovely if unlikely fairy tale if he was to come off the bench in the world cup final for england i like that story yeah would you take him to the world cup probably not but you never know injuries it's metatarsal time isn't it you never know you might be needed West Bromwich Albion made it five consecutive defeats in all competitions, falling 2-1 at home to Huddersfield. Hursty, have you seen any improvement at all under Pards? Would sacking no. him at this stage make any difference at all? <laughs> if anything, they've gone backwards under him, haven't they? One league win so far for him, and he's taken them away to Barcelona, and they've you know, obviously had their, their problems. He lost his Pat- wallet and his phone Pat- in Barcelona, know, yeah. too. I wonder how that happened. I wonder where he was when that happened. Um, yeah, well, Uber, you, you, you know, sometimes you, you get the wrong taxi driver, don't you? But um, why not get rid of him? Why, why keep him? They're not going anywhere fast with him, are they? There's seven points adrift, so 
Yeah, I sure called, I called an Uber and it was Gareth Barry at the wheel. Amazing. But um, Alison Rudd, she's here all week, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Everton looked pretty dire as they lose to Watford 1-0. To be fair to Allardyce, however, he did play a centre forward, two wingers, Rooney and Tom Davies, who, who by the way, now ties his hair back, as I discovered. Um, so is it just bad execution? Are we being unfair when we say, look, Big Sam's too defensive? He played all these attacking players. Oh, I can't. I can't bear to look at Everton anymore. Um, yeah, the only good thing to come out of that game was that uh, Davis does tie his hair back, and that would be my first rule as a manager: if you've got long hair, you've got to tie it back. Did you tie your hair back yes, when you played? Yes, of course I did. You can't, see, and that's how I know you can't <laughs> see anything. You've got no zero peripheral vision if you've got long hair. You have to tie it back, scrape it back. Where's where's all this vanity coming from? Ridiculous. I've said it before, so I'm bored of myself now. You have to build your team round Gilfie Sigurdsson or not bother buying him. And it's just, they're playing with 10 men because poor chap doesn't know where to be. He's out of position. Rooney runs the show, but not sufficiently well enough for them to pick up the points they need. It's it's a mess. They've got the resources and it's not clicking. Now, I know they're still in seventh place, possibly because the rest of the Premier League are so poor. But, and this shocked me. Burnley haven't actually won a Premier League game since December 12th, which, if you're keeping track at home, is last year. And most recently, of course, at the weekend, they were held at home by Southampton. Hursty, some of the luster coming off the gravelly-voiced one, or does he have so much political capital that whatever happens this season is an unbridled success? Sorry, do you want me to do this in the voice? Yes, please, can you do it? <laughs> Uh, there'll be no danger of us being dragged into the relegation zone because we've got Everton at home and West Ham away and then West Brom away. If we can't win one of those matches, I should design. It's <laughs> brilliant. No, 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 that was that was terrible. They'll be they'll be fine in short. I, yeah, those three fixtures are very much winnable. At least one of them is, and they're still you know still a fair way up the league. So yeah, and don't he's, Obsessing about Brexit, isn't he, Paul? So, you know, he's taking his eye off it. I just don't want to upset Alistair Campbell, you know, after his appearance last last week. I don't, you know, he's, you know he's, he carries a lot of clout, so, you know, he's one man that we don't want to annoy. Uh, Gab, I have a question for you. I thought Ronaldo was a preening egomaniac, but you're going to tell me that's not the case, aren't you? Yes, and you were wrong for thinking that. Yeah, it was pretty remarkable. So this weekend, Real Madrid are playing are playing Alaves. They're mullering them. They're three 0 up. It's the 88th minute, and Ronaldo scored two goals at that point. Karim Benzema, who actually played really well, was getting a lot of stick from the crowd because a lot of Real Madrid fans are just conditioned to just boo Karim Benzema whenever he comes within two miles of the Bernabeu. And Real Madrid get a penalty. Now that penalty would have been Ronaldo's hat-trick on the day, which would have been his 50th career hat-trick, which would have been his 300th Liga goal. What does Cristiano do? He reaches out and he says, hey, friend, brother, and teammate Kareem, why don't you take this penalty? It can offer you a little bit of a morale boost, and I don't really care about statistics or how many goals I score, so you go ahead and take it. And Kareem Benzema steps up and converts it. I think we're talking about a beautiful human being here who who did a beautiful, beautiful thing on Saturday. And all those haters out there need to reconsider. Hello there. My name is Paddy Von Baer and I'm here with Charlie Scott. Hi there. 
and together we are The Sweeper, the fantasy football tipping service from The Times. Uh, you can sign up for our free weekly emails for the tips at thetimes.co.uk forward slash fantasy football. Uh, what caught your eye this week, Charlie? Oh, I, I mean, I've spoken quite badly of Glenn Murray in the past, but... <laughs> He's quite a frustrating player, but I mean, he's 34. He scored 10 goals in the league now this season. Um, he's just spearheading Brighton's survival bit. Past four game weeks, that's 28 points for him. And uh, yeah, he just looks brilliant value. He's certainly defying expectations. Um, similarly, Liverpool at the moment, they keep going from strength to strength. And um, well, this, this this last week just gone, I, uh, I wrote a piece on the website about uh, how to tackle the rest of this season, uh, how to use your chips, etc. Uh, we'll probably put another link to that in Friday's email if you want to read it. But um, yeah, Liverpool look to be a team you really need to get on board with heading into game week 31 when there are a limited number of fixtures. And we saw, well, Emre Chan scored more big points at Liverpool yep. at a budget price. And Andy Robertson, and uh, they seem to have found a left back at last. Oh, I uh, mean, they needed one. Yeah, and he's, he's a threat with the cross. And uh, what if they can keep a few more clean sheets? I think he's going to be a pretty good option. Um, and the other person, I guess, who really caught my eye was, well, Jordan Shakiri again. He scored in three consecutive game weeks for Stoke. They also have a fairly friendly fixture in that difficult game week 31. So if you're looking for a midfielder around the six million mark, I would look straight to him. Definitely, definitely. Nine points for him. He's only owned by 10.7%, which is relatively low when you think about the very popular midfielders. Going forward, Charlie's going to have something up on the website this week. Read about it when it's up on uh, probably a Wednesday or Thursday. I'm sure it'll be full of excellent insight. And we've uh, we've set up a Facebook group where you can uh, head over and join uh, and get some personalised fantasy football tips. Just go on Facebook and search for The Sweeper and you're more than welcome to it. Absolutely. And just a quick shout out to the leader of our mini league. He is Philip Lindbergh and his team, Jesus, this is Insane. <laughs> 1,814 points and he's got a ranking of 25th in the world which is highly impressive so well done Philippe yeah absolutely so get involved in the mini league you've just got to sign up for our, uh, our weekly email uh, it is thetimes.co.uk forward slash fantasy football Right, that's all we've got time for today. Many, many thanks to my excellent guest, Alison Rudd, who joined me in the studio wearing one of those uh, uh, lightweight, puffy Uniqlo-style jackets, but probably far posher than Uniqlo, right? I bought it in Turin. It's Italian. It's very posh. It's a very, very posh and fancy jacket. And Paul Hurst, who I'm assuming is not wearing a, a jacket or coat right now. Is that accurate? Yes, I'm wearing a fluffy jumper. A fluffy jumper. Are you? Do you wear a vest in winter up north? Yes, thermals all the time. You want to go to sleep. It's that cold. There you go. Now, remember, it's just £8 for an eight-week trial. You can search The Times online and you can subscribe. And then you get all of our excellent content with some of my favorite writers. And you also get The Sunday Times as well, which is Jonathan Northcroft, who's who's very good and, uh, and a whole bunch of other guys who are pretty good too. This season, you can also access highlights of every single game in the Premier League, the Champions League, the Europa League, if you want to relive a bit of that Arsenal Ostersunds uh, uh, nonsense, and also the FA Cup. We're going to be back next Monday after the Champions face the Champions elect. Yes, that's right. It's Manchester City against Chelsea. The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. 